Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is breaking down the NBA semifinals. But first, we have a guest here today to talk about the second round of the NBA playoffs. So please welcome from Real Talk with MJ, Miles Johnson. How y'all doing? I'm happy to be on y'all's show. Ready to talk some hoops. Let's get right into it. Let's get right into it. So, Miles, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I started Real Talk with Miles Johnson in July of 2020. And uh, I've always loved talking about sports. I mean, since high school, I would, I remember I would walk to school. I would watch Undisputed. I watched First Take. Uh, and then when I was in quarantine, I was like, you know what? Why don't I just make my own podcast, my own platform where I can talk about sports? So, and, you know, so, you know, so I ended up starting Real Talk in July. Uh, we, I have a, I have Instagram page, TikTok, Twitter, all that jazz. Um, and so he's been, growing got an apple podcast youtube all that uh so i'll so man i'm just happy to to, to be on here happy to be on here yeah thank you for coming on and talking some nba with us so i'm actually going to throw it to jalen and he's got some questions for us so jalen take it away yeah first off shout out to miles once again his his little year anniversary is coming up soon too then we actually just recently had ours passed we started in june uh during quarantine so that's huge milestones for both podcasts but bro you know, we got to get right into the mix with everything when we talk about this NBA stuff. So we're going to get right into it. But we got to start on a sour note, though, bro. We got to talk about some of these injuries. We've had some crazy, crazy names miss out on some time throughout these playoffs. You know, it started earlier on with guys like Anthony Davis. We progressed into missing time, uh, missing guys like Kyrie Irving, James Harden. But recently this morning, we got a lot probably more impactful news moving forward in terms of uh, the way things are going to settle down in the Western Conference. And that's Chris Paul has been put into the player health and safety protocols program. And Kawhi Leonard is indefinitely out due to, I believe it's an ACL that he's dealing with. So with that being the case, Miles, first of all, what is your overall feelings about, the NBA playoffs from an injury standpoint so far. I'll read what LeBron said in a little bit, but what are your personal feelings about the NBA injuries that have been suffered so far? And just like, what do you think about their impact on the NBA playoffs in terms of determining a champion this year? Uh, Yeah. So I think first off with all the injuries, I don't think it's a coincidence that, I mean, this, this season, I don't I can't remember a season in NBA history where, this many stars have been injured, whether it's been Jamal Murray, whether it's been Donovan Mitchell, whether it's been James Harden, Kyrie, KD had an injury, Anthony Davis. Like, it's been almost every single superstar has had some type of injury, some type of knickknack injury, Joel Embiid. So it's always been somebody like some superstar this season that's had, um, that's had an injury. And I don't think it's a coincidence with the shortened, with the shortened off season, as well as the condensed season that the NBA's had with having 72 games in the span of what, between like December and May, uh, all these back to backs. I mean, I would check my phone every single day. There would be a game. So it's like, uh, I feel like that definitely played into the role of, played into so many stars, you know, having injuries this season. Now, in terms of the playoffs, I mean, um, you know, a good question would be, you know, would this put an asterisk on like the, on the ring? I would say, 
I would say no, just because everybody's injured, so it's kind of like level playing field. I mean, the Sixers, Embiid, he's playing with a torn meniscus. Uh, obviously, Harden, he's had his injuries. Um, Kyrie, so every it's almost every team except like the Bucks and the Hawks really have injuries. Uh, but this has really hurt like the NBA. Uh, and the NBA, I think they really should look into having less games because really NBA fans they don't look at the regular they don't really watch the regular season I mean we do because we're diehard fans but the 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 casual fan is not watching the regular season a the the full 82 games the the, you know the 72 games and the you know the casual fan will watch the playoffs and you want the best you want the stars in the playoffs so I feel like the NBA should definitely look into um, you know shortening the amount of games in the regular season uh, for sure. Um, but you know, it sucks that all these guys, especially Chris Paul with what he's done with this Phoenix Suns team, get them all the way to the, all the way to the conference finals just to get COVID and all of that. Kawhi too, the, the Clippers were on the verge of, uh, making it to their first conference finals. Um, and then with him out, I don't see how that's possible. So these injuries have definitely hurt this NBA season. Yeah, so Ryan, I'm going to read out LeBron's lengthy tweets for us real quick, and I'm going to let you be the one to respond to him. So this is this is a three-parter that he kind of went in on, and he starts off by saying, they all didn't want to listen to me about the start of the season. I knew exactly what would happen. I only wanted to protect the well-being of the players, which ultimately is the product and benefit of our game. These injuries isn't just part of the game. It's the lack of pure rim rest. Rest before starting back up. Eight, possibly nine All-Stars have missed playoff games, most in league history. That's facts. This is the best time of the year for our league. And fans, and fans but missing a ton of favorite players. It's insane. If there's one person that knows about the body and how it works all year round, it's me. I speak for the health of all our players, and I hate to see this many injuries this time of year sorry fans wish you guys were seeing all our favorite players right now so with that being the case did Nostradamus LeBron save anybody's mindset moving forward in terms of this did he only hurt the league did he I mean how do you, how do you feel about this honestly I feel like this puts everybody in a very weird position because LeBron's talking about what he's called but at the same time he participated throughout the entire year and played relatively well outside of you know he did miss his own little stretch but his team was impacted by injury, too. Is this bitter LeBron? Is he speaking to an overall larger scale of what the NBA needs to touch on? I mean, shoot, Miles said it here first that he thinks there should uh, there should be less games in the NBA. What is your takeaways from what Miles said as well as what LeBron said? First of all, I think whenever LeBron speaks, people are going to listen. Whatever topic it's about, he has a right to voice that opinion. That's number one. Number two... I don't think he's completely wrong. I do think, and I agree with Miles on this one, I think that the NBA does need to shorten the schedule. I do not think they should should have played 72 games this year. I think 60 is probably more reasonable. I would say even 55 or 50, somewhere around there. This season really proved how important health is and how important injuries are to a team. I mean, if we look at the Lakers, for example, with LeBron, when LeBron was injured, the Lakers were, what, third in the West? And then when LeBron came back, he was still battling that ankle injury. 
the Lakers were in the playing tournament all of a sudden. At one point, they were 14-4 and and undefeated at home to begin the season. Then they find themselves in the playing tournament. They barely beat Golden State, and then they lose in six games to the Phoenix Suns. I think health is even more important because of the fact that the there were so many injuries this year. So I do think LeBron has a point. So I think the biggest thing that I think we can take away from this is that injuries are going to have an impact on the season, especially when it's this lengthy um, of a year regardless, because the, the war of attrition is what's usually associated with the NBA regular season, right? And even further into the playoffs. But I have to agree with Miles's uh, latter statement when he said that I also don't think that this should have any kind of asterisks on the season. I think that's the card everybody likes to play when their team isn't in the championship picture, right? I think it's one of those things where that's the bailout. But I think one of the bigger things to touch on is the fact that when a season is like this, coming off of the kind of year that we had, that certain circumstances have to be applied. I think one of the things that we need to touch on, too, is that one of the best years that we had in the NBA from an overall production standpoint probably was that weird lockout year that we had where the Spurs ended out um ended out as the champs. I think it was after about 55 games that was played. It's probably one of the most competitive seasons we've seen in NBA history. So I think that's something that especially coming off of a year like this injury-wise should be something to take into consideration. I don't know if they'll do it because, again, at the end of the day, you got to count in TV ratings different things in terms of you know just local radio and different local tv stations as well so there's a lot of different playing parts that are going to be uh factored in to making such a decision but i mean i think for the product of the game i think we're starting to slide into a situation where the nba is going to have to start to slowly look itself in the mirror they already broke from tradition with the play-in tournaments so i don't think that the idea of sticking to the normal is something that should be holding the NBA moving back, uh, um, holding the NBA back moving forward. Um, so with that being said, um, we're gonna move on to the actual games now, and I'm gonna start a beef with Miles off top because I like you. And with that being the case, I also know that he messes with the 76ers kind of heavy, and your boy, if you didn't know, messes with the ATL squad over here. So. Gotta start me a little beef off top by talking to Miles about these 76ers. So how do you feel about this series moving forward? I know that y'all probably feel like we got away with murder in the last game. I'm sure it's a whole lot to say about that, considering that y'all had us pretty much rope-a-doped up for most of the first half. But the series is tied 2-2. It's going to have to at least go six games. How do you feel about Philly right now? Now, I was very, very frustrated last game. I mean, the fact that they were they were up by like seventeen, uh, but with the prominence of the three point shot, uh, if if you have like a eighteen seven seventeen point lead, it can go out. It can go out like this. Like if 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 a team shoots two straight threes, it's like a it's like eleven point game, a twelve point game. Uh, so the prominence of the three point shot has has made like a lot of teams, whether it's like the Nets or the Clippers when they were down 30 to 11 to the Mavs. A lot of those teams have just come back easily, which I haven't, which probably wouldn't have happened in like another era. Uh, but, um, you know, I was very discouraged in game five because they, we had him, we had him. Uh, but, uh, obviously I think Embiid, uh, him, uh, playing on that torn meniscus and fatigue and all that, that kind of, you know, set in in that second half. He was over 12, 4 for 20 in the whole entire game. So he wasn't himself. Uh, but I'm looking at guys like Tobias Harris, guys like, like, guys like Ben Simmons. And, you know, those guys should step up, especially when Embiid is having an off night. Uh, 
because especially with his injury or him battling this injury, he can't necessarily carry a team. I mean, he dropped like 39 points in game one, 40 points in game two. At a certain point, either Tobias or Ben Simmons have to carry that load because he can't do it game in and game out for a whole entire series. And also hurt me because uh, we don't want him be playing more games than he has to play. So in game five, um, we, we, we really had that game and uh, in game four, we, we had that game. Um, and we could have went three, one up. And then today could have been a closeout game. Instead of that, now we're now, you know, now it's, you know, now it's tied to two. Now it, now you have to play a, a you know, now they have to play an extra game. Uh, but I will say I'm very impressed with Trey Young. I mean, the fact that, you know, he's been able to, I mean, he's been showing out. He's been showing out these playoffs against the Knicks. Obviously against the Sixers as well, putting up 18 assists, um, you know, in that, you know, in that game four win. Uh, so he's been balling out. I still have the Sixers in six games. Uh, but I will, but I won't, but I, I won't lie. I was pretty discouraged in that game four loss because, you know, the Sixers had and they had him on the ropes and they just fell apart down the stretch. So I'm going to move back to you real quick before I get to Ryan about Atlanta. When it comes to Philly, though, who do, who or what do you think is the X factor? I think there's a lot of things that you can touch on. Obviously, Joel Embiid, when you talk about the meniscus, that's huge. But, I mean, he had 17 and 21. So we can't act like my boy wasn't out here doing his thing at the end of the day. He had as many rebounds as your leading score had points. Tobias Harris had 20 in that game. So, I mean, he's still doing his thing on the glass, which I think is huge. But, I mean, is it the fact that you know, maybe we need to, maybe you need to focus more on putting Ben Simmons on Trey Young even more. Is it the aspect of needing to play through Joel Embiid and just continuing to let him eat regardless of the injury? Is there somebody like Shake Milton who, who once upon a time in this series saved y'all butts earlier on? Is that somebody who you want to see more play from? What do you feel like is the X factor for Philly? It could even be something as simple as late game execution. I think that's really what lost you guys the game in this most recent game, because had that turnover not occurred in the final seconds, I thought you guys had a legit chance to put that thing, put the game into overtime, if not win, considering the the early lead you guys had. Yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like the X factor has got to be Tobias Harris. And I've said in the video in the past, uh, he's got to be that second option. And obviously, I'm just... Um, he said that he, he said, um, he was, he was, I mean, he was annoyed because he wasn't an all-star, um, you know, in the regular season, but, and he, you know, and he said, I'm an all-star, all this, well, you got to prove in the playoffs and then, you, and then you can get that respect and 20 points. That's not going to cut it, especially with your best player and B that's new and that's not having his best night. Uh, so I remember like what in the in the first series against the Wizards, to, to Tobias Harris he had like thirty seven points. Had you know he had like a great game. Uh, if he needs to keep that, he needs to up his points to really like twenty five, you know twenty six around that range. But twenty points right around that range isn't going to cut it. And I don't really expect Ben Simmons, although I although he really should, but I don't really expect him to to you know to consistently um you know average around like 20 points he's kind of who he is he'll get he'll get his rebounds he'll, he'll get his assist but in terms of that second option that second score uh is um you know and that guy that we can rely on if Embiid you know is you know if he's you know if he's out and all of this or or if he's not on his game uh Tobias Harris I believe is that x factor that can push the Sixers over the top as long as he's on his game uh so I would say Tobias Harris for sure so, Ryan, let's move over to Atlanta for a second, right? You know, I can sit here and rave about the Hawks all day, bro, outside of the fact that, you know, 
Trey Young has been a beast. I think there's a handful of other guys who have played relatively well. I think interestingly, interestingly enough, I don't think Clint Capella has been as effective as he might or he probably maybe should be in a series like this. Joel Embiid being on that tournament, in this case, you would almost think that him and John Collins would be going bonkers, but neither one of them have really had a crazy game yet. I think John Collins probably has played the best out of those two in the series. I think losing DeAndre Hunter has been a big hit to them perimeter defense-wise, but Kevin Hurd has played relatively well. Not too crazy in the scoring department, but he's a guy next to Bogdanovich that's been able to give Trey Young somebody else to handle the ball in the backcourt, which is huge. So how do you feel Atlanta, feel about Atlanta in this series? What do you what do you see from them so far that you think could be really beneficial to them moving forward to try to pull this series out? Well, obviously, we look at the guy who's been leading the charge for this team and Trey Young, and he's been phenomenal in this playoff run, especially in the first series against New York. Now against another Eastern Conference powerhouse in Philadelphia, I think that Trey Young has had a phenomenal series up to this point. I think when we're looking at the front court matchup between Philadelphia and Atlanta, it definitely favors the Philadelphia 76ers, mainly because Joel Embiid, who we would think is more of a liability on the offensive side, considering he's playing on a torn meniscus, but he looks like he's playing 100% out there, especially in Game 1 and Game 2. But he has been a phenomenal player in this series as well. I think what would be a key for success in Game 5 is getting Clint Capella and John Collins more involved, considering that the front court matchup definitely favors Philadelphia, considering that they haven't beat. And when you have an additional big man coming off the bench in Dwight Howard, who has championship experience with the Lakers, that could play into the hands of a team like Philadelphia. But just going back to Atlanta, I think another thing that will be very important in this series, especially in order to win Game 5, I think it's the play at their bench, the guys coming off their bench, especially in game two. The Hawks were down at, by 18 at one point, and they cut the Sixers lead to two before the end of the first half. And it was mainly because of players like Kevin Herter and Danilo Gallinari, who had, who had great games in game two. We saw Kevin Herter start in game four and had 10 points. And then Danilo Gallinari, he was showing out in game three with 17 points coming off the bench. Even though I feel like the front court matchup will be favored for Philadelphia simply because they have Joel Embiid. I think you have to look at other ways that you can get scoring. You have to look at the play of Trey Young, who's been phenomenal, like I mentioned. Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's had a great series thus far. I just think now it's going to be about who's going to give you that spark coming off the bench. I think for me it's Danilo Gallinari, who's been a consistent three-point shooter throughout his entire career. And especially in a time where the benches are shortened, when it comes to the playoffs, you need your best players coming off the bench, and Danilo is one of them. Yeah, so I think that's one of the big things to touch on, too, because he hasn't really played too crazy yet. I think the biggest thing that they could have done from a coaching adjustment standpoint is going with Herder instead of Solomon Hill, man. I mean, talk about a not-so-hard coaching uh, coaching change on the fly to make, considering that Solomon Hill was really a big net negative in Game 3, more more so specifically I think that Atlanta is a really interesting position because of the fact that I mean overall I would say that at the end of the day they haven't really done anything too different from what they did against New York I think the biggest thing right now is just the fact that these two teams are playing at a relatively high level even with the fact that Joel Embiid is injured 
And I think the fact that Joel Embiid hasn't really had that second guy, like Miles mentioned, to kind of ride along with him has been the one thing that's been able to keep Atlanta in this game. Obviously, that in the three-point shooting. But I think the fact that Trey Young has been able to content- consistently have, you know, one or two other guys drop that 20 points, but in the pack full 20 points, you know, like I mentioned beforehand, in this recent game where it was 100 to 103, I felt like Tobias's points weren't really felt, despite the fact that he was the second leading scorer on the team. So I think that's something that's going to be really interesting moving forward. Um, Miles, I'm a, uh, I think I, I think I already heard you say this, but just for the pod's sake, you said that you have uh, Philadelphia in six. Yeah. All right. So yeah. that's something to keep in mind too. I personally took Atlanta in seven, being the homer that I am. Uh, Ryan, uh, split the difference here, bro. After what you've seen through four games, or even Steven, who who you got winning this series? I have to go with the Philadelphia 76ers. I think top to bottom, this team is well-rounded, especially when you have Joel Embiid playing the way he's been playing, especially on a tour meniscus. I think we're definitely going to have to see Tobias Harris do more on the offensive side, become more of a second option. I mean, he's been pretty consistent throughout the series in terms of scoring. He has averaged over 20 points in this series against Atlanta. So I think it's just more or less trying to get him more involved as a second option and become the running mate, like Miles said. So I think that's huge. I think that at the end of the day, I feel like Philly is still the more superior team. Like I said, I'm riding with Atlanta for uh, biased reasons. But at the end of the day, I still think they have the talent to be able to hold on um, in this series and maybe even pull it out in seven games. Um, next, we're going to move into a series that's already over, but still worth talking about. And we're going to talk about the Phoenix Suns versus the Denver Nuggets. Um, Miles, I think this is a really interesting setup that Phoenix has, right? Let's factor out the fact that Chris Paul has his little situation taking place with the health, uh, health and safety protocol situation, because that could go a lot of different ways between now and when the next series will start for Phoenix. But just overall, how do you feel about Phoenix, Phoenix's, Phoenix's season so far when you factor in going as far back as the 8-0 play in the bubble last year, what they've been able to do as the second-best team record-wise in the Western Conference, and now so far being, I don't want to say all the way dominant so far throughout these playoffs, but have definitely been a team that people have to keep their eyes on as a legit championship contender. How do you feel about Phoenix um, so far this year and um, just heading into the Western Conference Finals? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the impact of Chris Paul, I mean, should not go unnoticed. The fact that whichever team he goes to gets better, whether it's New Orleans, whether it's the Clippers, whether it's the Suns, the team gets better. And I feel like he should have been in the MVP conversation, the fact that what he's done with this Phoenix Suns team. But but we've already kind of seen, you know, since the bubble and they went 8-0, we've kind of seen, like, them kind of turn that table. You know, they've always been, past few seasons, you know, one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, but, you know, with DeAndre Aiden, with Devin Booker, uh, as a Sixers fan, I'm, I, I'm still mad that we traded away Mikel Bridges on draft night. That's a whole different story from a whole nother day. But they got <laughs> Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder. I mean, they have a low, they have a great team. Uh, and just getting a veteran guy like Chris Paul to, just to bring all that talent together. I mean, the Phoenix, Phoenix, I mean, Phoenix has proved me wrong. Now, I do feel like Phoenix has benefited you know, from all the injuries in the regular season, I don't feel like, you know, if obviously if AD is healthy, if 
maybe you know if Jamal Murray is is healthy that they get to the conference finals but you can't knock them for that they've you know they've got here in the annual and they have earned it uh you know DeAndre Aiden he's played great in these playoffs Devin Booker has played great in these playoffs uh so I gotta give him some respect also Monty Williams I thought he should have been coach of the year what he's done with this Phoenix Suns team as well I mean he he's a I mean he is a great coach and you know even if Chris Paul may be out for even if he's out for what um, I mean, with the, with the help, with the help and safety protocols, even if he's out for like game one or game two, uh, I st- I feel like Monty Williams, he couldn't, I mean, he's able to, he's able to adjust and you know, Cameron Payne has been playing well. So that whole entire team has been playing well. Uh, and they definitely have surprised me this season for sure. So Ryan, um, there's a couple of ways that we can go with that piggybacking off of what Miles already said. First off, it's a two part question. First off, Feelings about Monty Williams not winning Coach of the Year, right? You're the uh, for 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 Miles, who's uh, first time on the pod. We have our inside joke running that Ryan is secretly a closet New York sports fan, secretly very big fan of these New York sports, including the uh, the Knicks, who got taken down by my Atlanta Hawks, by the way. But um, with that being the case, Tom Thibodeau was the one who won the. Um, the coach of the year award so how do you feel about Monty Williams being I guess essentially snubbed in that regard and then the second question that I want you to answer in in regards to the Phoenix Suns is actually related to their x-factor um they're moving into a situation where I don't want to focus on Chris Paul's health as the x-factor I feel like that's too easy to just point at that not only because of these circumstances but I mean right on cue he got injured in the first series against the Lakers and we thought it was over potentially back then so again thoughts on Monty Williams but then secondary to that who is the x-factor for this team moving forward or what is an x-factor for this team moving forward outside of Chris Paul's injury concerns slash health and safety protocol circumstances I am happy that Tom Thibodeau won it but he should not have won it it should have gone to Monty Williams I think what Tom Thibodeau did with the Knicks was impressive, but what Monty was able to do with the Suns, I would say, was more impressive, especially considering that this team, we kind of saw a preview of what they were going to become last year in the bubble when they went 8-0 and Devin Booker went on that amazing run. So we kind of saw it coming in a way, but at the same time, I have to say that with the Phoenix Suns and the talent that they put together on this roster, whether it's guys like Mikel Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, I think that this was a huge, huge upset. In terms of my X Factor, I think it's tough because I think it's a toss-up between Mikel Bridges and Jay Crowder. I think what Jay Crowder did in the Lakers series, being the antagonist, so to say, to LeBron James on the defensive side, and considering what his impact was with the Miami Heat last year, considering that if you look at Miami as a team this year, they were, they're really missing Jay Crowder now. And I think that when you have one 3 and D guy like Jay Crowder on this team, that's something that, in terms of playoff basketball, that's beneficial to a team like Phoenix that's kind of a gritty team, especially considering that Devin Booker's not only been on the tear in this playoff series, but guys like DeAndre Ayton and Mikel, and Mikel Bridges have stepped up. I think the other guy, like I mentioned with Mikel Bridges, I think it just matters how involved he's going to get. I know he had 11 points in that final game, but we've seen a lot of potential for Mikel Bridges on the Suns team. Like Miles said it, I think Philadelphia is kind of regretting that trade, sending Mikel Bridges to the Phoenix Suns. But Mikel Bridges has been a phenomenal third option for this team. 
And I think that that's honestly the potential for a guy like Mikel Bridges on this Phoenix Suns team, considering that you pretty much just need to get 10 to 15 points a game and just hit threes consistently. So I think with Jay Crowder and Mikel Bridges, it's pretty much a toss-up between one of those guys as the X factor. I think those are interesting ways to go with it because of the fact that I think regardless of what team they might end up facing in that next round, whether it's the Jazz or the Clippers, which we'll get into that um, in a little bit. But I think regardless, I think perimeter play is going to be huge. I think who guards, if it's Donovan Mitchell, I think that's huge. I think if moving into the next round, depending on the circumstances, potentially Kawhi, more likely Paul George, based on the uh, the injury information that we heard, if the Clippers pull it out, that's another player that's going to be taken into uh, serious consideration. I think it's more likely the Jazz that are going to come out of it, and I think the perimeter play that they have is ridiculous, especially if Mike Conley is available. I think if you look at it and you talk about Bogdanovich, who's still a perimeter player despite playing the four, um, you look at Donovan Mitchell, who's Lord has been low key unstoppable these playoffs since coming back from what Ryan. I think we we mapped it out as six weeks out during the regular season before coming back. Um, so I think that's another thing that's huge as well. I think they've been getting a lot of plays. Six man uh, of the year. Jordan Clarkson has been huge off the bench as well. So I think that the biggest thing, uh, the, the two players that you touched on, Jay Crowder and Mikael Bridges as perimeter defenders, I think might even be bigger of an impact than what they might do on the offensive end. Miles, looking at the Nuggets, though, bro, I got to ask you a controversial question. How do you feel about Nikola Jokic being named the league MVP, factoring in what we've seen from him in these NBA playoffs? I would still say that he deserved it. Uh, You know, I feel like, uh, obviously, if, it, if a guy like Embiid was healthy for the entire season, I mean, he, when he was healthy, he was the best player in the league. A guy like Harden, he was in that conversation. He got injured, but the, you know, Jokic was the only superstar really in the league that pl- played every single game. Uh, and the fact that was well, still a deal for me with Jokic, because for the most part, I was I was an Embiid guy. You know, I was you know I was you know I was rooting for him even though he missed some time. Uh, but the fact that Jamal Murray went out. And the Nuggets got, you know, they like got, they they went up to a three seed. They, they didn't drop off. Matter of fact, they had they had a winning record in in his absence. Uh, that shows you know the impact of Jokic. And you know, yeah, he got swept by the Suns. I mean, really, he, they shouldn't even have beaten the Portland Trailblazers to begin with. Uh, so the fact that he beat Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, um, mm-hmm. you know, I made you know actually I had a tweet about how you know the fact that Jokic beat the Blazers. Um, Essentially, I mean, I mean, essentially, basically by himself. And I'll still, you know, I'll still say my, Michael Porter Jr. He was X factor as well. Uh, but if any other superstar, whether it would be like LeBron, KD, um, and Harden, or if there was any of you know Steph Curry, if, if any other superstar beat that Trailblazers team, the media would would be going crazy. But I didn't really, I didn't really hear too much about Jokic, about you know, about the impact of Jokic and all of that, and, and you know, and how that was so great that he was. Just, just, you know, just destroying, you know, Nurkic and all of them guys. I mean, he was balling out that series. Uh, but most of, all, but all, but all, but all I really heard was about Damian Lillard possibly going to the Lakers or something like that. So I'm just like the disrespect from Jokic. I feel like this season, you know, it, it's been, it's, you know, it has been r- ridiculous. Uh, and I feel like he should. I, I, I still feel like he should have won MVP. But obviously, if everybody was healthy, you know, he wouldn't have won MVP. 
I, I mean, I have to agree with you. I literally have an article. I just found it back on February 14th where I had wrote out what I felt like the state of the MVP race was. And back then I had Jokic third and I had Embiid number one at the time frame. That just goes to tell you how far things have come and also how impactful injuries are on the M- on NBA MVP race. Ryan, I kind of want to pose a question similar to you, but kind of taking a different direction as well. We've been hearing a lot of stuff about teams changing a lot of things over the last couple of weeks. Coaching situations, which, Ryan, we'll talk about that on a different pod, but Lord, the Wizards made a choice that I could not be any more happy with. But nonetheless, a lot of teams making a lot of different decisions regarding their coaching situations, a lot of questions regarding people's rosters. You know, Portland is one of the first teams that come to mind. The Lakers are also another team that's been discussed Lord, we're already having conversations about Kimball Walker being moved away from the Celtics because of a disagreement between the two. But how do you feel about Nikola Jokic as being named the MVP? But then on top of that, how do you feel about Denver going into this offseason in terms of what do you think they need to do in terms of adding personnel? What do you think are some of their first things that they might want to really knock off their list in terms of being able to make this team better so that this MVP season can be expounded upon and Nikola Jokic can maybe even potentially move further along in the in the NBA playoff picture, if not even make the finals. So I was originally an Embiid guy for MVP because I thought he had a phenomenal season up to that point. He was playing some of his best basketball, and then he got hurt. And then when I saw what Nikola Jokic was doing, I think the tide turned. I think I agree with Miles on this one because the tide turned as soon as Jamal Murray got hurt. And I feel like when when Jokic was essentially the sole star there until Aaron Gordon got there, this team got better. And it was really because of the play of Nikola Jokic and the number of triple-doubles he put up almost every night. He also went on like a huge winning streak after they got Aaron Gordon. I think they were like 10-3 and three at one point in that winning streak. So I think that having Aaron Gordon was huge to not only boast – Jokic's MVP chances, but also the Denver Nuggets' playoff chances. With that being said, I'm not really sure if we fire the coach in this situation, because I think the players and the depth on this team, I definitely have to look at the depth, because when we look at the guard depth outside of Jamal Murray, it's especially scary when you see how the guards played in this Phoenix series. If we look at the Portland series, we definitely saw guys like Compazzo and Austin Rivers and Monte Morris have a couple games where you think, okay, yeah, maybe there's a chance that with some guard depth, they can make it to the Western Conference Finals. And if the guards continue to play this way, they can make a run to the Western Conference Finals. We were wrong in the semifinals against the Phoenix Suns because Monte Morris didn't have a great game until game four. Compazzo was having a lot of bad games. Austin Rivers was having a lot of bad games. At one point, we saw Marcus Howard, rookie from Marquette, get some playing time late in the game. I think it was game three, game two or game three, somewhere around there. But I think that's a big hole right now for the Denver Nuggets going into the offseason. I also have to look at the forward position outside of Aaron Gordon because they re-signed Paul Millsap and did not opt to sign Jeremy Grant. I think that losing Jeremy Grant in the offseason, that's definitely something that I think Denver is going to regret considering how much of a, I would say, a number one star, essentially, that Jeremy Grant has become in Detroit. 
But now you have Aaron Gordon, so at least you have somebody who can complement Nikola Jokic. I just think with that being said, there's just a lot of holes in terms of depth for the Denver Nuggets. I think that's fair. I think there's a lot of different ways that you could point that out in terms of talking about. I think Composo actually played a little bit better than than you may have give, given him credit for. I mean, especially given the fact that he's, you know, the 30-year-old rookie is the way the joke goes. But I think he's played relatively well. I thought Monte Morris played well within the fact that he's playing way more minutes than he's typically used to with a guy like Jamal Murray on the floor. I think that's one of those things that's huge. I think one of the main things that might actually be more important than adding talent is is their decision that they might have to potentially make on this man, Michael Porter Jr. Going into the summer, the dude's the dude is eligible for a five-year max. Now, Jamal Murray got that got that money. Nicole Jokic got that money. Aaron Gordon got a little bit of money on him coming over from Magic. So they got to make a decision on whether or not they feel like this guy is a full-on franchise-level player to put next to guys like Nikola Jokic and next to Jamal Murray because otherwise next year he's going to be playing his age 23-year-old season for about a cool five million bucks before being able to really make it make a real play at anything. He becomes, you know, there's a club option that's passed. Uh, they have another option that they can just, like I said, pick up in 2021. And then that 2022 year, he's a restricted free agent. It's going to be a lot of people that are going to willing that are going to be willing to raise the dollar on him. So I think it's going to I think more than anything, it might be really interesting to see what they do financially with him, especially because if they invest in him. Who knows? He might turn his gear up another notch. And he he was arguably top. I, would, I mean, he finished top three, but I felt like he was a legit top three, top two candidate and most improved player of the year this year. So I think if you give him some extra confidence, I think he's an even scarier player. So I think the Nuggets are going to be an interesting team to, to, um, to talk about during the offseason. Ryan, we'll probably do a lot more extensive work on some of these teams that are out of the playoffs once, you know, the season is closer to wrapping up. The Nuggets will probably be at the top of our list. Um, let's move over to these Jazz versus Clippers, man. Um, very interesting game Monday night um, where the Clippers get a 31-piece from Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to lead them to a 118-104 victor- victory over the Jazz and notch things up 2-2. But as we mentioned at the top of the pod, Kawhi Leonard is out indefinitely due to injury. Miles, I'm going to swing this stuff back to you. We ain't heard from you in a minute. How do you feel about this series now, bro? Because Mike Conley is also out on the Jazz's side. I don't think that's nearly as impactful, obviously, as missing out on a guy like Kawhi Leonard, who's arguably been, what, probably a top five player in the playoffs this postseason. But how do you feel about the the landscape of this playoffs from the Western Conference aspect now that we're looking at a series that's tied 2-2 and one of the team's best players is off the floor until who knows when? I mean, I would. I mean, I I had the Jazz in seven. So with Kawhi going out, I mean, I feel like the Jazz they can pull it out in six. Uh, but on the other side, of things on the Clippers side of things, um, I mean, Paul George and I feel like I've been making some jokes about him since the bubble with the way off P and all that pandemic P. But I feel like it's been a little bit overblown. It's kind of like a meme now. I feel like he's been, he had some stinkers, but you know, most part in the playoffs, you know, he's been playing like a star or whatever. Uh, but I believe that he can change his legacy. He can change the perception of, 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 of what people think of him 
if he balls out, potentially, if he wins this series, you can't say way off P. You can't call him Pandemic P, all of that. You can't say he's a choke in the playoffs. So he has a chance to prove the haters wrong, prove the doubters wrong, just like, you know, KD did a little bit. Um, and so I feel like, you know, Paul George has that, has that, has that, has that opportunity. And I don't feel like, it's out of the norm for the clip for him not to you know carry this clip Clippers team. They got Reggie Jackson who was who has been shooting very well. He's been playing very well in the playoffs. You know if you know Marcus Morris, he's been hitting his he's been hitting his threes. Uh, you know obviously you know the you know the loss of Serge Ibaka has hurt them. Uh, but if they're able to hit their shots, so like they were the best um three point shooting team in the league in the regular season. So if they get on the hot streak. And they're able to, you know, they're able to, you know, shoot the lights out these next three games or, you know, in game five or game six. And they have a chance. Uh, and definitely, you know, it's hurt the, the, the Jazz without having Mike Conley as well. Uh, but I, I still have the Jazz winning this. Now I'm going to, uh, you know, change my, change my, uh, you know, change my prediction. So I'm going to have it in six. Uh, but if, but if Paul George has the opportunity to really prove that the, the doubters wrong in this series. So I'm going to come back to you with something else interesting. This is an interesting little exercise I usually do with Ryan in certain circumstances. So this is something that I like to call the top five readout. So if you had to go between these two teams right now, with the circumstances that we have, who would you say in order are the top five players in this series? Okay. It's a handful of names to pick from. Handful. I say number one, Donovan Mitchell. Number two, Paul George. Number three, I'll probably say Rudy Gobert. Number four. Number four is number four. You get I number four, probably Jordan Clarkson. You could maybe say Jordan Clarkson, and then number five, Reggie Reggie Jackson. I might be missing somebody. I miss somebody. Maybe you can put Bagdanovich if you want to put him over Jordan Clarkson. Uh, but for the most part, I'm really looking at it. I mean, it's. I mean, they got Reggie Jackson. You can. You know, I mean, they got. I mean, the Clippers have a deep team. Like, let's just be honest. They have a deep right. team. So it's not like it's Donovan Mitchell number one. You know, Paul George number two. Then the then everybody else is like Jazz players. Like you know, mm-hmm. it's. I would say that the Jazz have maybe a little bit more talent, but the thing is that they're obviously missing Mike Conley, uh, so it isn't isn't like the Clippers are facing you know it's like, it's like a world beater in the Jazz. It's still a manageable, uh, and I mean I still say you know Gobert is the third best player uh, in this series, but what Ty Lue has done great. Uh, and you know, I'm gonna talk about you know probably I'm gonna have y'all on, on the episode talking about Ty Lue and his impact on, on this on, on this Clippers team because his his I mean I mean his adjustments and all of that people try to say that you know he's only a good coach because he because he coached LeBron no Ty Lue is a great coach in this league and the fact that he's inserted you know Nicholas Batum he's he's inserted Marcus Morris to you know ultimately. Um, you know, drift Rudy Gobert away from from the basket. He he did that in Game Three and Game Four. Uh, so that was a great adjustment by Ty Lue. Uh, so you can you can really eliminate you know try to eliminate you know Rudy Gobert from that you know from that equation. Uh, so I feel like it's you know you in terms of talent, the Jazz are not world world beaters compared to the Clippers with you know with Kawhi Yao. Uh, and I I I would still pick the Jazz, but the Clippers have a chance. They got a chance for sure. 
And that's the point that I always try to make with these. There's always got to be some kind of some kind of result to these, right? You don't want to just throw out a hypothetical top five and it's just like, where are you supposed to go with this? The result that I was trying to come from based on your list is that the talent deficit is not that crazy, bro. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, Donovan Mitchell is an elite level player. We'll get into that a little bit later because we, we got some beef that, that involves some Donovan Mitchell talk. But Donovan Mitchell is an elite level scorer, bro. He's not a two-way player, which is obviously one of the bigger knocks on him. A little undersized for the guard position nowadays to consider we're moving to a little bit of positionless basketball. But he knows how to get the heater cranked when Tom, when Tom comes. But, like, when you really go down the list, right, even if we put Mike Conley and Kawhi Leonard back into that listing, right, based off your list, you could argue that actually the Clippers, I mean, the Clippers had, I think, what, three, eight, three, or they had two out of the five players that you had in that list. You could argue that they had, they, they would have three if you insert Kawhi Leonard in the mix. And I think, honestly, once you get past the top five, if you want a person in the top five, I thought that Kawhi Leonard, if, it's Kawhi, if everybody's healthy, Kawhi Leonard's number one. Without him being healthy, I would say still Donovan Mitchell one. I still have Paul George number two. I think that um, Rudy Gobert number three is huge. I think that's another one that's good to point out because I think people keep sleeping on the fact that just because Ty Lue inserted Nicholas Batum into the lineup that it's completely reared Rudy like unplayable and like that's just not factually uh, accurate. He's he's not as effective, but he is not. You know, he's just not he's not somebody that you're literally playing off the floor. I think after that, it gets kind of tricky because I think Bogdanovich, I think, is the fourth best player. And then I think after that. I think it gets tricky because you could go between Ingles, Clarkson. I think Reggie Jackson's had a better playoffs than both of those guys. And I think low key didn't even mention them. Marcus Morris Sr. has been balling, dude, like since since back in the Dallas series. So I think that that just goes to show you, no matter how we phrase the list, Kawhi, in, Kawhi injured, not injured, Mike Conley injured, not injured. This team from a, these two teams from a talent perspective are so even, Steven, that if anybody's like, oh, that's it. Clippers are done. That's it. You're jumping gun. You're jumping the ship too early because these teams are way too evenly matched still from a talent standpoint to just write them off. Ryan, with that being the case, my guy, I think something that we have to kind of touch on about this, though, is the fact that the Clippers are injured. The Clippers are missing the best player in the series, arguably, in terms of the fact that Kawhi Leonard, when he puts this team on his back, has been able to get them two games back. So... How do you feel about the impact of Kawhi Leonard's injury moving forward on this series? Are you, regardless of the exercise, jumping off ship? Or do you feel as though there's still a little something left to this Clippers team with Paul George leading now? So I'm just going to say this. This might be a hot take, but if we look throughout the entire playoffs, I think this is maybe Kawhi's best playoff run. I think now losing Kawhi, this forces Paul George to step up. This forces Reggie Jackson to step up. This forces Marcus Morris to step up as well. We saw KD last night take a team, put it on its back, and then score a near 50-point triple-double. I would not be surprised if Paul George decides, I'm going to go out and score 45, 15, and 10, and then lead the Clippers to a Game 5 or Game 6 win. There is a chance that this might happen with Paul George. Now, with the whole pandemic P thing 
how he's been struggling in the playoffs, especially dating back to last year and what happened in the Western Conference semifinals against the Denver Nuggets. This year, this is all Paul George. This has to be Paul George's time because with no Kawhi, there's no excuses. We cannot undervalue how good the Clippers have been throughout the entire season, especially with with Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris stepping up as well. I think if you get guys like Luke Kennard involved coming off the bench, because Luke Kennard had a pretty good game one coming off the bench. I think he had 18 points and he was shooting some threes that kept the Clippers in the game. So I would say the series is not completely over for the Clippers, but Paul George is going to have to have a Kevin Durant game like Kevin Durant had in game five either in Game 5 or Game 6, to keep this team in play. So, Miles, I want to swing something back to you before we move into the next series real fast, because you mentioned coaching adjustments by Ty Lue, and he's going to have to do himself a job on this Game 5. What would you, if you're in the coach room, right, you know you're not going to have Kawhi Leonard, and you're not really sure when you're going to get him back. What adjustment do you think personally, if you got got to say, if you got to make a suggestion, you know, pop it on Twitter, maybe he reads his mentions, throw something out there. What do you think you would do in terms of trying to make adjustments in this series? Does Terrence Mann get more minutes? Are we throwing Zubox back in the mix? Does Kennard get on the floor more than he's definitely used to on this Clippers team? What what do you think is probably the best route to go in terms of making adjustments without Kawhi Leonard on the floor? Well, I think guy that's been forgotten with the emergence of Reggie Jackson is Rondo. I mean, they brought him in, right? They brought him in um, to beat playoff Rondo, right? Got you know he was on the Hawks, traded him. They thought he'd be the playmaker that would just bring everything together. You know, in the playoffs, he really hasn't lived up to that because of Reggie Jackson playing so well. Uh, but I mean, Ty Lue. If I'm gonna put my hands in a guy, I, I, if 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 I wanna put faith in a guy, I I don't care if I don't care that about the age of Rondo. I would I would, I'm trusting Rondo in facilitating you know this offense, um you know and having the ball in his hands a lot and setting guys up and all that, setting Paul George up because I don't think that Paul George can you know facilitate others and score and rebound, do everything that Katie did, do everything that LeBron has done his whole entire career. I feel like he can stick to one thing, be like, all right, I'm a scorer. But in terms of doing everything, that's too much to ask for Paul George. So I would say that in terms of facilitating, you know, getting everybody together, I would say that Rondo is a guy that should play like 20 minutes tonight, maybe 25 minutes tonight, and have that playoff Rondo type of game. And I feel like he's definitely, you know, I feel like he's definitely up for that task, and if I'm and if I'm gonna you know pick between guys like Luke Kennard or Rajon Rondo or Zubac or whoever, I'm picking Rondo because you know he hasn't played you know great you know this season, but you know when you know when you know when it's crunch time, you know when palms get sweaty and all that, I want Rondo. I want Rondo as the guy that you know can take me there, and I believe that you know he'll definitely play some more minutes tonight. And I expect him to have around maybe like eight assists, ten assists, but he'll definitely facilitate and get and you know, and you know, and get other guys open and you know and, and ultimately, ultimately try and get this win for the for the Clippers. I think that's huge. I think that's a great point because I mean, man, I, I didn't even think about that. That's like because of the fact that you know, because he hasn't really had that kind of game yet. He hasn't really been in much of these series. He was literally. DMP inactive in game four so he's one of those guys that you almost kind of 
think fell to the wayside. I think it's important that you factored in why, though. The emergence of Reggie Jackson has been huge in terms of being able to move a guy like Rondo out of the lineup. But I think, again, one of the other things is maybe not even from a scoring standpoint, but his overall ability to handle the ball. And let's not pretend. Look, this ain't like early, early, you know, Rondo, early Rondo seasons with the Celtics. This dude is a threat from three now. He's not dangerous, but you can't just step away from him and let him practice jumpers from back there because in when the when the moment calls for it, he's gonna knock them down. So I think that's something huge to touch on. Ryan, I'll go to you with this um to close things out with this series. Um, no Mike Conley, and I don't really know how impactful that is because I'm not really sure just how much of a needle mover Mike Conley is for this team. But what do you think not having Mike Conley means for Utah? I mean, Bogdanovich, shoot the heck out the ball. Joe Ingles, we know, is a guy who can go get 15-plus points and still grab a couple boards, get a couple assists. Jordan Clarkson hasn't had the craziest stretch playoff-wise so far, but he's always due for a game with the fact that he's a guy who's a high-volume shooter. So how do you feel that this will impact Utah? So, obviously, losing a guy like Mike Conley in the playoffs is a huge loss because I think when you when you talk about experience, Mike Conley is maybe the most experienced player on this team, and he's been to the playoffs multiple times with the grit and grind teams in Memphis. So he knows about the playoff experience, and he can provide that veteran leadership that this team needs. I think with that being said, I don't know how much it affects it because we've seen how this team has played without him, and this team has been pretty good without him. They've only lost two games, and I think if we think about how the other players have stepped up, like you mentioned with Joe Ingles, like you mentioned with Jordan Clarkson, Ingles has been maybe the most consistent player in this series because he's averaged 19 points in the past three games in this series, and he's been a consistent shooter on a very consistent three-point shooting team. So I think Joe Ingles is a guy who's filled the role of Mike Conley fairly well, to say the least. I do think Jordan Clarkson has not had the best playoff series, but if we look at what he did in the last series against Memphis, he can give you 20 points off the bench. He can be that spark plug that the Jazz need coming off the bench. So I do think not having Mike Conley is not as bad as we think it is, but Having Mike Conley on the floor, regardless, gives you additional scoring and veteran leadership. I still think that Utah has got this in the bag. I don't think it's as lopsided as people are feeling it's going to be moving forward just because Kawhi Leonard is out. But I definitely think that Utah can still get this done in six. That's how I felt about it was that coming into this series. I always thought that whether Utah caught Los Angeles or they caught Dallas, that I felt like the circumstances were going to line up where Utah just has the depth and they just had the success in the first round that led them to just be the more prepared team coming into this round. So I think that was I, – I still have Utah coming out. I just don't think it's going to be as lopsided as people feel with this injury being listed off. But now we get to my favorite part of the podcast. We've got two topics left, and one of them is our final series of the NBA playoff semifinal round. And – um. Somebody told me on the grapevine, I don't know who it was, I'm not really sure where the information came from, but um, 
my boy Miles, he he was he was talking a little crazy on the gram and on on the Twitter sphere, and um, it was about that there Kevin Durant, and um, he told him that he was gonna have to be that guy, he was gonna have to be that dude in Game Five with a hobbled James Harden and a lack of a Kyrie Irving, and he only went out and dropped forty nine points. 17 rebounds and 10 assists. The man didn't even crack 25 shots. And he brought his ex-Thunder buddy, Jeff Green, with him, who dropped 27 in 35 minutes. So, Miles, I will let you do what you must do. I, I heard on the grapevine you got a little something-something to say to KD. Uh, uh, yeah, so um, Kevin Durant, I apologize, you know. I just I've been down you. I said that you could not carry a team, which at that point you haven't. But you proved me wrong. You know, I, your whole career, or at least the past five seasons, when you won championships, play on super teams, play with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, you know, Draymond Green, you know, great, you know, great Warriors team, went to the Nets, linked up with James Harden, Kyrie Irving. I thought with Kyrie out. With James on one leg, or just with James Harden injured as well, I thought there's no way that KD can pull this off. Uh, but what he did, I mean, it might be, and I don't know if it is, but it might be the greatest postseason performance in the history of the NBA. It it just might, it just might. Now we have we'll obviously Magic's 42 without Kareem in the finals. That's that that's one, but. If he pulls, if they win this series, if the Nets win this series, well, it can be a conversation. It can be a conversation. I mean, this guy played every single minute. Like he didn't even step out the game. Like he didn't even step out the game. So, I mean, I, I'm, I mean, the guy he has his burner accounts. So I bet he was probably looking at his Twitter, you know, looking at everybody like myself. He's probably watching my tweets, seeing me hate on him and all of that. He probably looking at everybody else here on him. And he was like, all right. And then I, I saw that, um, I saw a video on him. He was like, y'all know my name. I'm Kevin Durant. And he just showed that, you know, he's Kevin freaking Durant. Uh, and he proved, uh, and especially if they win this series that, you know, right now he's the best player on the planet. Uh, I, 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 I knew he was a scorer, but to rebound, facilitate, defend, I mean, down the stretch, he was locking up Chris Middleton doing it on both ends of the court. And let's not forget that this guy is only two years removed from one of the most devastating injuries in basketball, which is a torn Achilles. Some guys never come back from it. This guy, I mean, it looks like he's gotten better from that injury or just you know, like he, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't dropped a step. Uh, so what KD has done, it was nothing sort of, spec you know, nothing sort of spectacular. And I just got to say, I apologize, KD. I doubted you and you proved me wrong. Man, for those who don't, who have not already seen um, a lot of the stuff that has been put out related to Kevin Durant since that performance, he's literally the only player in a play in playoff history to record 45 points, 15 rebounds, and 10 assists in a playoff game. And we go through his whole readout. I mean, Miles, Miles may have undersold it. 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists, 16 to 23. I was hearing all this stuff on on talk shows and stuff of he gonna have to get up 30 points i mean 30 shots it's not gonna be about efficiency it's gonna be about volume 
my boy barely cracked 25 and was in there like swimwear 13 of 16 from the free throw line three steals two blocks miles said it played every minute of the game whoo wee now miles said it miles said it and i think what's even more hilarious is that in all seriousness this was something that ryan had said in a text message thread that we had talked the the other night and it was literally the fact he said like miles said how do you get better coming off an achilles injury that's that's nuts to me the quote literally was i don't know how he can tear his achilles and get better all i could do was laugh i didn't have anything else to to say to it because it, it sounds unfathomable. There's no way for you to like be able to put an Achilles tear that kept this man out pretty much the entire year last year. You know, we saw a little bit of on the court three on three stuff and all that stuff. But in terms of real live action, we did not see this man on the floor. And now he is, as I said in the same text message thread, he is a god. <laughs> the man is playing god level basketball. So. Ryan, let's go this route, right? I also saw something on the, on the Twitter sphere that I also thought was very interesting. That was not Miles Tweets, which that thread was very interesting if y'all want to hop into that bag. But there's another thing that I thought was very interesting as well. That boy, CJ McCollum, had a little something, something to say about that man, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And it was that he had made an all-NBA team but did not guard Kevin Durant at all? Barely? Was on Joe Harris most of the night? So how do we feel about Giannis coming out of this game? This was a game that was kind of in the Bucks' favor to kick things off. James Harden was horrible for really most of the game. Ryan, there was a text message that you sent me that said, I think the tide's turning after he had hit um, the and one floater um to kind of kind of get him rolling despite the fact that he didn't really have a crazy game but how do we feel about the bucks collapse Giannis's defense or maybe you could say lack thereof where do we where do we stand on the bucks bro there's a lot to unpack with this game last night because going into the second half the bucks looked pretty good they had a pretty comfortable lead Giannis had a pretty good first half and then we saw other guys get involved, like Pat Connaughton. He had a couple of buckets in the first half. Brooke Lopez had a nice three in the first half. Bryn Forbes, I think he had one of his only points, one of his only threes in the first half as well. You were getting some solid production from other guys like Middleton and then Holiday and then other guys on the supporting cast as well for the Milwaukee Bucks. It seemed like it was a good half of basketball. However, as I'm watching the game, they're committing a lot of dumb fouls, and they're turning the ball over a lot, especially at the end of the game when Middleton dumps it off to Giannis in the paint. Giannis tries to corral the ball, and he tried to move, almost forgetting that he didn't have the ball, and turned it over late in the game. I think it's because he didn't want to get fouled, because if you look at Giannis's free throw shooting percentage in this series specifically, it's awful. He wasn't that bad last night, but he's been worse in this series. So I think that had something to do with it. So I feel like, yeah, there's a lot of things that we can unpack here with the Milwaukee Bucks, but now Game 6 is a must-win. 
And I think if Giannis has this type of a game where he's not taking as many threes and he's actually driving to the paint using his his six foot ten frame to dominate in the paint, I think that's what's going to benefit them in the long term of this series because Giannis is not a great mid range shooter. He's not a great three point shooter. He's not a great free throw shooter. If he can just get to the hole every single possession. The Nets defense, as we saw in the first half, is not going to stop them. So why are the Bucks changing up their game plan halfway through the game, especially early on in the series, where it seemed like it was a three-point shooting contest between the Nets and the Bucks, and the Nets were winning in the first two games. Mm-hmm. So a lot to unpack, but like I said, it's Giannis and Middleton, and they have to have big games in Game 6. I think the biggest thing, bro, well, there's two things that I think are huge. The first thing is that Giannis has to guard KD. I, I'm, man, I'm so sick of him, like, doing this, like, post-game thing where he decides after the game that he's like, I'm going to muscle up and go take on the best player. It's like mid-game when he was giving y'all 50, basically, it didn't, like, dawn on you that, like, maybe switching on to Joe Harris, who, <clears throat> Joe Harris in 37 minutes. Five points, three rebounds, and one assist. I digress. But the other thing is this, bro. I don't know if y'all I don't know if y'all remember this conversation a long time ago, bro, but this was something that I thought was so interesting. Once upon a time, Shaquille O'Neal thought that Andrew Bynum and Brooke Lopez were the two top centers in the NBA. Why did he think? He thought they were better than Dwight Howard, who at the time was a two-time defense, two-time, I think maybe even three-time defensive uh, defensive player of the year by that point. Why did he think this? Because they were the best post players in the NBA. So why is Brooke Lopez behind the three-point line all game? This is a guy who was one of the best post players in the NBA at one point. And this series is literally tailored for him to eat around the basket. Did he forget his post moves? Did he get paid more to shoot the three-pointer? I'm not really sure what's taking place. But you pay, you play 36 minutes and you don't, I don't even think he got double digit post touches. I think we have a problem in terms of the Bucks from a physicality standpoint. Can I interest you in 19 and 8 from Drew Holiday? Can I interest you in 25 points from Chris Middleton in, in a team high 45 minutes? You, you, you can't lose this game. You can't, you can't. And not in the fashion that they did. So I think, Miles, I'm going to move this back to you, bro. Because I think that something that's so interesting to me about this Bucks team is that the inconsistencies are blatant in terms of what's not going for them. Giannis has not been effective at the free throw line. I think that might have been most telling when James Harden was on him. I think, I think everybody's seen this play because Charles Barkley – pointed it out very, very vividly. James Harden is on him defensively in the post. James Harden waves off help defense and leads Giannis into who he thinks, what what he believes to be a Dirk one-knee fadeaway. But it was really just Giannis on one knee. So I'm, 
I just got to ask you this, bro. What do you think the Bucks have to do to save themselves from losing in this sixth game and pushing it to a game seven? And maybe, just maybe, coming out of this series alive. I would say, I mean, like you just said, I mean, they fell in love with, with the three. And the problem with the Bucks really was that they were making their threes in the first half. And, I mean, mm. the fact that they were making their threes in the first half uh, you know, led to their downfall because they kept shooting the threes in the, in the you know in the second half. The only thing was they were not making their shots. That ended up getting the 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 Nets back in the game. And it's, I mean, it's I just don't get it. The fact that the Nets don't have a rim protector. They have Blake Griffin as a center. They don't even, <laughs> they don't even play DeAndre Jordan anymore. They don't, they don't even play him anymore. Like he he has you know, he has DMPs. You're, you have Jeff Green and Blake Griffin in the paint, and Giannis. I mean, or I mean, I mean Giannis. I mean, hope. I mean, he'll shoot some threes, but it's like y'all should be living in the paint. Y'all are so much bigger than these guys. Like, and I and throughout the game, I, I mean, the, you know, it was around where like they had like a seventeen point lead, but I'm like to really bury this team because you have KD that obviously can go out for fifty points any you know, any you know, any given night. You have to bury that team. You cannot be playing around having, well, like having like a fifteen point lead. All of this, I'm like, you should bury this team. So the fit that they did not blow them out in the, you know, by like a thirty point lead, and at the end of the half, I'm like, y'all just giving this team more life, more life. Um, and Mike Budenholzer is a guy that I hold accountable as well. I'm gonna get to Giannis too. Uh, but the fact that there was no ball movement, there was no ball movement mm-hmm. down the stretch. Guys like Chris Middleton, guys like Drew Holiday, Giannis, they were all playing ISO ball. I'm like, the reason why y'all had the lead in the first place because of ball movement. Guys like Connaughton getting shots. Guys like, obviously, you know, Brooke Lopez. But, like, they had ball movement. Down the stretch, it's like, Bunhose didn't know what he was doing. Like, they just, they just, they just like, got scared. I don't know what happened, but... The ISO ball was something that the the Bucks they aren't they aren't that team that's gonna you know that's that's gonna break you down. Y'all have to move the ball and all that. Uh, and you know, going back to Giannis, I mean I I mean I was disgusted. I had a tweet. I'm like, this guy is guarding Joe Harris instead of Kevin Durant. Like I'm looking at this. He had PJ Tucker. I mean PJ Tucker was on Kevin Durant. Then P, then um PJ Tucker gets in, gets you know gets in foul trouble. They have Chris Milton on him. I'm like, well, just last year. This guy was defensive player of the year over Anthony Davis. Now at that time I had Anthony Davis over him and I could not I did not, I was I was very frustrated that Giannis was defensive player of the year. But you're defensive player of the year. And you don't even guard him like you're guarding Joe Harris like you said was 1 for 11, like 1 for 7 from 3. I'm not worried about him. I'm worried about Kevin Durant. I'm worried about Kevin Durant. So it's so I mean the fact I don't know if it's because he's no you know he's not from America so he isn't really like no but like I have I I mean I play basketball at the Y you know at the park all this but if somebody's giving my team buckets I don't even play basketball but if somebody's giving my team buckets I'm like you know what guys I got him I got him guys I got him Giannis you're a MVP a two time MVP this guy's giving y'all buckets y'all don't double team him. You don't even you don't even say you know what I got him guys like I don't even care like, I got him like if you know if he's gonna score fifty points it's gonna be on me but I'm not I'm not gonna watch him score fifty while I'm 
guarding Joe Harris in the corner and and and, and just letting Chris Middleton, you know, get you know just get just get cooked, just letting PJ PJ Tucker get cooked. So this made me look at Giannis different. I mean, I I I never was the biggest Giannis fan, but this just made me. I'm just like, dude, like if you're that guy, like you have to get that assignment. And it's not the media trying to make this narrative, but it's just like. You are the best defender in that team. You are first team all defense. You play the same position. This isn't like this isn't like a point guard trying to guard a you know a small forward or you know a center trying to like you know a guy like Rudy Gobert trying to guard Kevin Durant. Obviously, he can't do that. But Kev, but Giannis plays the same position as Kevin Durant. Y'all are both small forwards or whatever or whatever you you want to say. But they're both the but they're both the same position. You have to get that assignment. You have to at least just try. You might not be. You, you might not. You might not stop him. But the but the fact that he didn't even attempt to guard him down the stretch, and you see him just get bucket after bucket after bucket, it made me look at Giannis like, are you that guy? Like, like what's up? Like you're just letting this guy just put fifty on y'all, and you're not even going to defend him for one possession. I mean, it, it, it had me looking at Giannis like a whole different way. So, Ryan, I want to move to something that, based off all of Miles' like, statements about Giannis, because I think, I think it's so intriguing to me, because I, I feel like that's kind of the thing that's starting to like, really take wave over how people view Giannis Antetokounmpo as a player. I've already said he's not a good basketball player. I think he's an excellent athlete who plays basketball. I think that's one of those things that, that's how I view it. I saw um, an Instagram post earlier that uh, somebody said, Giannis Antetokounmpo should pay Amari Stoudemire $2 million to work out with him this summer. And I thought that was something that was really interesting. I, I know it sounds kind of jokey, but similar body frames. Um, Amari Stoudemire has, has made, his, made his name in the league in the NBA off of having a high motor. Yes, he has some injury concerns down the stretch, especially um late when he was with New York but even I mean specifically with his time with Phoenix and everything like that similar size to Giannis and Antetokounmpo not the same kind of athleticism but made up for that with post skill was a guy who ran the floor really hard very aggressive around the rim just a lot of things that I think is very similar to Giannis in a way that Giannis's athleticism actually could make himself an MVP caliber version of Amari Stoudemire which is not saying anything too crazy because Amar Stoudemire, once upon a time, was a guy who maybe was considered a top three, top five big in the league, right? So I take that statement and I follow that up with this. Um, I have to give credit where credit is due. My man's Ashton hit me up in the group chat the other day when we were talking about Giannis after the game. And one of the statements that he made, um, I can't uh, pull up the actual statement because he did it voice recording wise. But what he basically said was that Giannis Antetokounmpo is a role player has a role player mentality in a superstar body he is a guy who is willing to follow the coach stay in his lane and do what is asked for him asked of him as a way of not being a problem as being a cog of the system but he has the superstar potential to be someone bigger than that so let's take those two things together, right? His need to improve as a basketball player along with his mentality. Miles says something that I think is really interesting because he pointed the finger at Bud. Is it time? 
And the reason why I'm asking you this question is because you, you're usually team obliterated, number one. You're usually the guy who either wants to blow the team up or send a coach home. Is it time when it comes to Bud? Because I'm starting to wonder if Giannis needs somebody else who's going to finally push the button. I think he needs somebody who's going to finally force him to work on his actual actual basketball game. I saw Giannis do some weird move. I think it was in game three. Granted, you know, circumstances, whatever. But it was some weird move in game three where he went in to drive or he was in he was in he was in mid post area, did a bunch of these dribble moves backed up and then forced himself into a charge lean in. That ended up being, you know, he ended up missing the shot and it was a defensive rebound for the Nets. He doesn't have a package. That's basically what I'm trying to say. He doesn't have an offensive package in terms of a dribbler. He doesn't have an offensive package as a threat in the post. He's just a guy who's very good at leaning on having a head of steam, being taller than most, and being athletic than more. So who is in more trouble, bro, going into this offseason, bro? Because I'm not trying to say that. I'm not saying Milwaukee's done. I'm not saying Milwaukee's done, but what I'm saying is, who is in more trouble for scrutiny this offseason? Giannis being someone who has not improved as a basketball player despite being a two-time MVP, or Bud, who is a guy who I think is safe to argue at this point that he does not bring the best out of his players at the moment that is most required. Yeah, this is a tough question indeed because I feel like, like I said, I think with the last question, this one's very similar with in terms of a lot to unpack. I don't know about you guys, but I watched those first two games. I watched Giannis run up to the line to take a three with Blake Griffin giving him like three, four feet of space, and Giannis missing the shot. I don't know about you. I was about to throw my phone through the TV because <laughs> I don't know why he is running up to the line with so much space. And then Blake Griffin at the last second just charges up and tries to defend it, and Giannis misses it. Correct me if I'm wrong, I think Giannis in the first two games was like 3 of 8 from 3, which isn't spectacular, but like most of those were open looks, mm-hmm. essentially. So I think, yes, there is blame on Giannis because he has to step up and he has to make the plays necessary, and he cannot collapse in the moment but this series in particular with the emphasis on the big three versus big three matchup of Giroux Middleton and Giannis against KD Kyrie and James Harden the Bucks need Giannis the most in this series and I think that Giannis has not performed to the best of his abilities with the exception of his stat line with that being said, Coach Budenholzer tried this six years ago with Atlanta. How great was that Atlanta team six years ago with Al Horford, Kyle Korver, Damari Carroll? Every player in that starting lineup was in the player of the month at one point. And one of them ended up being an all-star in Kyle Korver. This year, it's like a much more improved 2015 Hawks team. But we're in the same position as they were six years ago. You mean they ran into another LeBron, basically? Essentially, probably right. They ran into three LeBrons. <laughs> they ran into three LeBrons. They have KD, Kyrie, and James Harden. What team is beating that, first of all? I understand the regular season, they had their issues running into teams like Cleveland and Colin Sexton going off for like 40, 50 points. 
But this is the playoffs. At least two of the three stars, you know that there's a chance that you're not making it out of the series, especially with two out of the three guys healthy and playing. And it's been like that for the entire series. With that being said, Mike Budenholzer made no adjustments, like Miles said. KD was going off the entire time. They kept putting Middleton on him. There was no double team on him at all. Not even a triple team, which is what teams have used to guard Steph Curry in the past. And yet Steph Curry makes the three anyway in a triple team. So yet, we watch KD and see how great he is. But then we think on the other side, why isn't the other team doing more defensively to stop KD? That's the problem that I have. So I understand Giannis signed the max extension, and he's going to be in Milwaukee for a while. But I think, yes, a different coach's time. And I know I'm the guy on the pod that blows up everything. But look, I think there's cause to pause for this one. With that final statement, Miles, real quick, bro, uh, it, it, are the Nets winning this next game and finishing things out, or are we going to a game seven? I feel like we're going to go to a game seven. I still, I can't, I don't expect Milwaukee. I'd be shocked if they lose in Milwaukee. I feel like they'll make some adjustments to, you know, you know, you know, to try and, I guess, what I mean, what they should do is just double team KD. At least put, I mean, because nobody just by themselves is going to, you know, if, whether it's Chris Middleton or PJ, PJ Tucker, nobody is just by themselves going to, you know, contain KD. So they have to have some double teams or whatever and force the other guys to beat them. If Jeff Green makes seven threes again and Joe Harris makes five threes, I mean, all right, all right, cool. I mean, all right. But you can't let KD just go for 50 points um, and not even have, like, a double team. Like, I just like that's ridiculous. So I feel like Mike Boonehose, he will have to make some adjustments, uh, but – I'll still say that I'll have it going to the game seven, uh, and I feel like uh, I I hope the Bucks can win, uh, just because I don't want I don't want the Sixers to face the Nets. Uh, but I but I you know but I I think if it goes to I feel like if it goes to a game seven, which I think it will, uh, that the Nets will end up pulling it out. Ryan, we going to a game seven, bro? So here's the thing: we can look at this from one or two ways. Mm-hmm. One, the Nets don't play KD or Harden, which is something that if you if you look at Reggie Miller's Twitter account, he's suggested something about that. He's a nut because, job. <laughs> because Harden and KD have played full minutes, that there's a chance that they'll sit, which I don't think that happens. But in the possibility that KD and Harden don't play as many minutes as they did in Game 5, that's going to cause other stars like, or other players, should I say, like Jeff Green to have a game that he kind of had in game five where he went off for 20 points or 27 points that was nearly perfect from three. With that being said, I think Brooklyn takes it because I think we've seen all we've needed to see from this Milwaukee team for me to believe that they actually still have a chance in this series. So Brooklyn in six. I'm rolling with Brooklyn in six too, just out of the mere fact that I think that KD gonna have to end this early. He gotta get his bros <laughs> back. You know what I mean? I think that's one of the biggest things too. I think I think and Miles, I agree with your face, bro. Anybody uh, anybody that's an audio listener for this, bro? Oh my gosh, Reggie Miller with this whole KD Harden should not play, or maybe they maybe it's a good idea strategically to not play them and bank on a game seven. No, dude. 
I understand it's a quick turnaround, but wouldn't the smarter idea be to end this sooner rather than later? That would probably be the best route of a contention, right? So, Lord, that doesn't even make any sense. But I have them in six because I feel like the urgency to end this series is so important because not only does it help them get their own rest, duh, but it helps Kyrie get more time to get back on the floor. And we also know that the Atlanta, the Atlanta Philadelphia series is going at least six, which is something to take into consideration as well, which can mean that if the Nets end this, they could have as much of a break as up until next Tuesday, I believe depending on how far this goes. So, I, I mean, I think that there's something to take into consideration. I, I believe that the Nets will win in six. That was kind of my, to my mindset from the beginning um, coming into this series. But I would not be surprised if Milwaukee pulled it out in game six. But, um, guys, to close up the podcast, we've got to touch on something that I think is going to be extremely hilarious to discuss for about a cool, like, three to five minutes, which is the all-NBA announcements. Um, on the NBA first team, we have Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard, Nikola Jokic, second team, Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, Julius Randle, LeBron James, Joel Embiid, third team, Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, Rudy Gobert, notable omissions from the list, Trey Young, Jason Tatum, Russell Westbrook, Donovan Mitchell. So fellas, Miles, I'll start with you, bro. Ryan, I don't usually curse on this podcast, but I got to give it for the one time. What the fuck happened with this list, Miles? I don't even. I feel like the dis. I mean, like earlier in the season, around the All Star and around like All Star weekend, or whatever. After the All Star, after the All Star selections had been made, I remember Bron made made a tweet about Devin Booker, and he said Devin Booker is the most disrespected player in the league. Well, that's not the case. That was a lie. The most disrespected player in the league is Donovan Mitchell. And the fact that I fell into this, I mean, I didn't have him in the MVP conversation, but he should have at least been in the conversation. I mean, having the best record in the NBA the Jazz had, he should be in the conversation. And for him to lead the Jazz to the number one seed, I know he was injured, but let's, I mean, at the, at the end of the, of the season, but everybody w- w- was injured. The only guy that pretty much wasn't was Jokic, right? So I feel like the fact that guys like Kyrie, Bradley Beal went and got over, you know, Donovan Mitchell in the, you know, in terms of all NBA, uh, I mean, and, and, and if there, and if, if there's a guy off the Wizards team that should be all NBA, it should be Russell Westbrook, but that's a whole different conversation for, for, for you know, for, you know, for another day. But I feel like the fact, I feel like Donovan Mitchell, it's it, it, it it's it's gotta be one of the biggest snubs in the history of all NBA. I can't remember a guy that led a team to the number one seed and wasn't in the MVP conversation and wasn't even all NBA. So that's just you know, that just struck out to me. You have, you obviously have guys like Jason Tatum, Trey Young, uh, that that you can put in there. Uh, but with the but you know but with saying a snub, you have to take somebody off, and I just feel like. Donovan Mitchell has the most compelling case for why he should be all NBA. Ryan, I, I can't fight anything that Miles said. All I'm saying is Julius Randle's on this list. Now, you know I love me some Julius Randle, bro. Donovan Mitchell had a better year than him. We're not going to do the injury game because Joel Embiid and LeBron James made second team. So I don't want to hear injuries. My boy, in case y'all didn't, in case y'all didn't know, my boy, Devin Booker, is not on the list. 
They were a top two seed in the Western Conference coming off a year where they didn't even crack sniff the playoffs, even after winning all eight games in the bubble. Brian, react to this list real quick for me. Tell me your thoughts, your feelings on the circumstances, and who you might have thought was maybe the biggest snub, potentially. I would say the biggest is Donovan Mitchell. I would say the second biggest, I would probably say it's Devin Booker, because I think when we're looking at two of the best players of this generation, it's Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker. And they led their teams to the top two seeds in the West after the Jazz finished sixth in the West last year. And the Suns didn't even make the playoffs, but yet Devin Booker went crazy in the bubble and led his team to an 8-0 bubble run. They're not even considered. That's the crazy thing. As those two guys are so talented, they weren't even considered for this list. I can understand Steph. I can understand Luka. I can understand Nikola. I can understand Kawhi. I look at Kyrie Irving. There is a chance that maybe he should not have been third team. Agreed. I, I think Bradley Beal... I think for me, Bradley Beal was well-deserved that he got third team because I think that he was a phenomenal guard for them last year. I can make an argument that Russell Westbrook should be on third team as well, but this would have been very hard for Donovan Mitchell or Devin Booker or Trey Young to get on here because of the fact that you look at the guards on this first, second, and third team, the only questionable one is Kyrie because of the fact that he was injured for most of the season. So it's kind of hard for me to place Donovan Mitchell in here, but I do think that Donovan Mitchell was snubbed for sure. I digress, bro. I think you're being a little nice. I'll tell you right now. I'll be the guy to go ahead and end the pod out with some aggression in his voice. I'll tell you this right now. Julius Randle's not better than D. Mitch. Boom. Put that in the circumstances that, granted, the guard-guard forward thing, that's where things get tricky, but I don't think he's better than D. Mitch. If he's got to take any spotty spot, okay, fine. Give give D. Mitch Kyrie spot. I don't think that, I don't think Kyrie was better than Donovan Mitchell this year. I think Jason Tatum takes Julius Randle's spot off top. I think that's, I think that's an easy one. I think another thing is that's interesting in all of this is that one could argue, I may be being a little aggressive myself, but one could argue that Bam Adebayo might have still been the most effective player on the Miami Heat at that forward spot. KD plays even 10 more games. I think he takes one of these dudes' spots off rep. So I think realistically, there's a lot of openings for this. Miles said it earlier in the podcast. James Harden was an MVP candidate earlier in this year. He got counted against, and he's not on this list either. But what I will say and what I will give them credit for is this. In a tough year filled with injuries, a lot of circumstances, including a lot of players off the floor, this list is only indicative of how great the league is getting. There's a lot of players on this list that we just either wouldn't expect to be on this list at all moving forward, or a lot of guys on this list that, had it not been that kind of year for some teams, would have never even sniffed the chance. You know, there's one thing in terms of maybe seasons down the line where maybe we could maybe project it because some other guys will be out of the league. But in a year like this specifically, this was maybe their best shot. Talking about guys maybe like Bradley Beal and, uh, and Julius Randle, this is maybe Chris Paul's last chance, depending on how you view him moving forward. 
So I think this is still kind of indicative of where the league is heading. D book slept on Donovan Mitchell. Lord, we could go on about that for the rest of the day, honestly. And JT, I think, is another one that's huge on this list. We might have to do something, Ryan, moving forward where we make our own little list. We'll see what's up with that. We'll react to all these lists as well. And, Miles, we got to talk to you about um, the the NBA awards at some point as well. The, uh, one of the final awards in terms of the NBA uh, Rookie of the Year was released with LaMelo Ball winning. That was earlier today. So we'll probably have you on for something discussing that as well. But, fellas, that is the uh, semifinal discussions as well as some M- uh, some NBA, uh, all-NBA banter from from your boys here at the hoop talk podcast so uh ryan uh uh let's let our guy miles uh exit himself and then you uh get us out of here miles any final words for the pod my guy hey man i appreciate y'all for having me on here it was a it was a you know it was a pleasure you know talking hoops all that you know had some you know had some great conversations and all that so i definitely got to have you on my podcast as well so you know so you know so you know so be you know you know so you know so stay tuned for that as well uh and man i'm just happy to to be on here and let's uh let's hope my let's hope my sixers can can get this dub today uh but you know but that being said y'all man i appreciate y'all for having me on for sure ryan get us up out of here bro Everybody go follow uh Miles Johnson at Real Talk with MJ on Instagram. Great podcast. Everybody go give it a listen wherever you get your podcast. This has been a great episode today on Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure we you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.